Uh, the Gospel of Mark focuses on the actions of Jesus rather than his sayings. Compared to Matthew and you know, Luke, uh, you could easily see uh, that the Gospel of Mark really focuses on what Jesus did and what happened to him rather than you know, what he said and what he, what he taught. Um, so let us uh, just jump into the Gospel of Mark right now. Um, the, the whole 16 chapters of Gospel of Mark can be divided into two. So, yeah, okay, good. Uh, so uh, verse 1 through 826 is part one, I think. And then 827 through 1680 is part two. Very interestingly, the last story of part one of the Gospel the healing of the blind is such an interesting story. So if you look at 8.22 through 8.25, this is the, the last story of the part one. It goes something like this. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus said, Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Now, this is very, very interesting because among the uh, healing stories of Jesus, this is the only story, healing story, that shows us like the two-stage healing. At first, this guy's sight was not fully restored because he could see people, but they look like trees, you know, walking trees, kind of blur. But then when uh, Jesus you know, laid his hands on his eyes again, then he could see everything clear. Do you think that uh, this was so because Jesus did not have enough power to heal him in his first attempt? Not really. We all know the power of Jesus. Very interesting stuff going on here. Um, now, let, let us jump to chapter 10. Okay? And the, um, the, there's another uh, healing story, blind healing story in Mark chapter 10, uh, 1046 through 52. Uh, this story occurs in part two of the Gospel of Mark. And let me read this uh, quickly. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, 
what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and followed him on the way. This is the same blind healing story, but at the same time, it is quite different from the first one that we just saw. Jesus simply said, go, your faith has made you well. The faith. The key here is the faith. In 827 through 1045, the story goes, Jesus was really uh, you know, going, traveling along uh, with the uh, disciples, and they were going to actually Jerusalem uh, you know, for Jesus to be crucified. And then Jesus tried to open disciples' spiritual eyes, but these disciples were so dumb and you know, they were so misled that they couldn't understand. They couldn't see what Jesus was really trying to tell them. And most importantly, they couldn't see who Jesus really was. So it illustrates the spiritual blindness of the disciples, and they really needed to see who Jesus is, really who he is, step by step. And the most crucial factor here is faith. So I think that the first blind healing story in Bethsaida and the second blind healing story in Jericho surround the story of another blind story. So this is uh, the first one, first one, 8.22 through 8.25, the physical blind story, 8.46 through 52, another physical blind story, but inside there is a spiritual blind story. The disciples' spiritual eyes are shut down. They couldn't see who Jesus really was. Um, in, in New Testament studies, when this kind of thing happens, it is called inclusio in, in, in Latin. So this is uh, wrapping the whole inside story. The side story, the outside, these two outside stories actually provide the context of this middle story, which is blind, uh, spiritual blind story. And these disciples were completely blind spiritually. They could not see who Jesus was. So even after Jesus kept telling them who Jesus was, repeatedly and again and again, because they did not have faith, they couldn't see who Jesus was. So I'll tell you definition of faith a little later, but clearly the faith is the problem. All right, so let us look at the uh, chapter 1, verse 1 uh, of the Gospel of Mark. Um, okay, so he says the blind, the, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So uh, from the beginning, the very beginning, the gospel actually tells us that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. So Mark begins his whole story by telling who Jesus is up front. He is the Messiah and the Son of God. But from chapter 1, verse 2, and following, there's a very, very interesting story going on because in the narrative, the human characters, every human character in the story does not know this fact. 
They do not know Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is the Son of God. But very interestingly, other characters in the narrative perfectly know this. There are two characters who know who Jesus is, really. One is God, of course, and very interestingly, the demons. So in, the, uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 11, uh, it says, A voice, from, uh, voice, come, voice come, came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. So it is the voice of God telling them, This is my son, meaning the son of God, and, and so on. In 9-7, a very same uh, sentence happens. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. So, God is one character in the story who knows, of course, Jesus is the Son of God. But then very interestingly, the demons also know, the evil spirits. In 125 and you know, on so, so on, there are several passages that show the demons know perfectly who Jesus was. Let us read the uh, 3, 11, and uh, 12. It says, Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and shouted, You are the Son of God. But he sternly ordered them not to make him known. And again, uh, there are other, other passages, uh, like a 5-7. The demon-possessed man shouted at the top of his voice, says, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So, God knows, and the demon and the evil spirit know who Jesus is, the Son of God. But human characters in the story do not know who Jesus is. Even the disciples do not know. They were following him for three years, but they still do not know who clearly he is. Even his family does not know who Jesus is. So Mark 3.21 says, When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. You know, people were saying that he is crazy. You know, so his family was looking for him because they were worried. They did not know who Jesus was. Now, the first story in the second half of the Gospel of Mark, tells us very crucial story, which is our main passage today. Who do people say that I am? Jesus asked. So let us look at 8, uh, 27 through 33. Uh, this is you know, quite long, so I'm, I'm just going to summarize this. So Jesus and his disciples arrived in Caesarea, this village of Caesarea Philippi, and then, you know, Jesus asked this question, who do people say that I am? And then the disciples answered him, or, you know, some people, you know, call, called you like uh, John the Baptist and others, Elijah, still others, one of the prophets and so on. And then Jesus asked the most crucial question that, you know, we should be asked also, but who do you say that I am? And then you know, the first disciple, our, you know, kind of favorite character among the disciples, Simon Peter, probably raised his hand and said, you are the Messiah, right? 
And then Jesus denied, Jesus did not deny that he was the Messiah. He simply ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Very interestingly, you know, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, again and again, whenever like a miracle happened, healing happened, um, Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell people about this. So, in 829, uh, Peter's answer, you are the Messiah, this is really correct answer because from 1-1, we know Jesus is the Messiah and Son of God. So the perfect answer, actually, uh, for this kind of question, who do you say that I am, the per perfect answer would be you are the Messiah and the Son of God. But, you know, as a master storyteller, Mark reserves that the final half of the answer until the end. And then 831 through 833. This is the first, uh, like a so-called uh, passion uh, prediction. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. So compared to 8.30, that Jesus sternly told them not to tell about him, you know, to, to anybody, but in 8.32, he said all this quite openly, that Jesus himself will be persecuted. He will be arrested and be killed. But then after three days, he rise again. But then very interestingly, the person who answered Jesus' question correctly, Peter, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Um, but turning again, turning and looking at, the, at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things or things of God, but on human things. It is very interesting to see that the, uh, you know, Peter began to rebuke him. Um, and then Jesus also rebuked Peter. The same verb is used here to contrast. Okay? Uh, you might you know, say, you know, how could a disciple rebuke his teacher? But Peter was very, very upset. You know, wh why was he upset? Because he, he just said that you are the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? He's, the, the Messiah is the anointed one. The Savior that God was going to send to rescue the Jewish people, Israelites. How? Jesus was supposed to be the son of David. Just like David, who defeated Goliath with you know, five smooth stones, he would be a military leader. He would be the general. He, he would be a powerful man who would defeat their own Goliath, which is the Roman Empire. So Peter just told him that you are our Messiah. You have to lead us to war against the Roman Empire. But what Jesus openly told them was that he was going to be arrested 
and killed. Although he is going to you know, rise again after three days. So that is why Peter was very, very upset. That he couldn't accept that Jesus would be that kind of Messiah. He couldn't really imagine that Jesus would be that kind of weak uh, Messiah. But Jesus rebuked Peter and saying, get behind me, Satan. Now, this is, the I believe, the, the, the definition of faith. Setting your mind on human things, not on the things of God. Human things are the ways of Peter. So the, in, in Peter's concept, the Messiah was supposed to be the military fighter, the military leader who would overturn the Roman Empire. But things of God, the divine things, well, actually, you have to set your mind on the things of God to have faith. So if you have faith, then you will see clearly that Jesus came to save not only the Jewish people, but the whole world, including the Gentiles, including even the Roman soldiers and so on. So the crucial factor in this whole story in the Gospel of Mark, faith, Faith is setting your mind on the things of God, not human things. And then, you know, very interestingly, uh, in the following narrative, uh, Jesus predicted about his suffering and death twice more, 931 and then 1033 and 1034. So Jesus predicts his sufferings and death all three times in, in chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. And then, and then Jesus would tell a very, very crucial story in 1035 through 45. And this is another you know, long story. So I'm going to just read 1045. Probably you know this verse very well. It says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The true identity of Jesus is tied to this episode, especially in 1045. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Meaning, he would sacrifice his life to release people from captivity, from slavery, to save them. So, Mark has a singular focus on the ministry and identity of Jesus in this. So Mark 10.45 clearly states why Jesus came and who Jesus is. He is driving his story, his whole narrative, toward a climactic moment to reveal it. So there are other stories, but today let us go to the climactic moment and see who Jesus is and why he came. And that moment came in 1539. And this is where uh, the first human character in all of these stories, uh, his disciples, followers, uh, the crowd, he, even his family members, all human characters in the entire story of Mark do not really know who Jesus is. But finally, in 15. 1539, there is a human character 
who perfectly understands who Jesus is. And this person is a Roman centurion. So Mark 15.39, it says, Now when the centurion who stood facing him so that in this he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was God's son, the son of God. So in the Gospel of Mark, actually this is a whole sermon. In the Gospel of Mark, there's an interesting thing going on that human characters do not really know Jesus until 1539, and the true identity of Jesus is revealed only on the cross, not anywhere else. Have you met Jesus on the cross? So this is a very interesting uh, motif throughout the gospel, where, where Jesus kept telling the people after he performed the miracle not to tell anyone about him. You know, uh, this, because this occurs again and again, the scholars actually found the name for this, and they call it the Messianic Secret. There, there is a Messianic Secret because he could be understood. In the, in the narrative of Gospel of Mark, Jesus did not want, Jesus did not want to be misunderstood. If you meet him at the scene of healing story, he could be misunderstood only as a divine healer. And there were such, you know, many such healers in the ancient world. If you meet him when he was teaching wonderful stuff, he could be misunderstood only as a wisdom teacher. And again, there were many, many wisdom teachers uh, you know, at the time. Um, and, and then if you meet him when he was calming the storm with his authoritative words, he could be misunderstood as a miracle worker or driving out demons and, and, and so on, again and again. All these identities, like a healer, teacher, miracle worker, they were correct. I mean, they, they were parts of Jesus' identity. But they are wrong ones. They are not really wrong ones, only partial identities. So the Gospel of Mark tells us that these identities should be construed based on meeting him, meeting him on the cross. He is the Messiah and the Son of God who went to the cross to be sacrificed. So the Gospel of Mark tells us that actually we have to understand Jesus in retrospect. Re retrospect. So from the cross and then backwards, we have to start from the cross and then read the Gospel of Mark again, you know, backwards, and, and then we, we find him who has healing power. We, we, we find him who has this incredible, perfect wisdom of the world. He has power over demons, evil spirits, and, and so on. But if you do not meet him uh, on the cross, and only try to find Jesus in the healing scene or the, or the miracle scenes and, and so on, or teaching moments and so on, we could totally misunderstand him. So this is Mark's method. 
like uh, trying to teach us and tell us who Jesus really is, you have to meet him on the cross. You know, today in America, there are many Christians who perceive Jesus as the one who fulfills their desire. There seems to be a Jesus that people want. Do you have any picture of Jesus that you want? It, it may be that the Jesus who brings happiness to your life or the Jesus who solves my problems and so on. Sure, he is able. He is able to bring us happiness. He is able to solve our problems. That, that is really, really true. But if you have not met Jesus on the cross, I believe that everything is in vain. On the cross, he solved the deepest and most important problem that we have. That is problem of sin. What is sin? From the biblical perspective, sin is not some petty mistakes that we tend to make. It is much deeper than that. It is not moral failures that we always experience. Sin is actually deeper than that because sin is really about the root problem that we have with God. Therefore, it is a, if I could use some theological you know, uh, words, Sin is not anthropological problem. Sin is theological problem. It has to do with our relationship with God. We were created by God to be in fellowship with him and also under his lordship. But according to Genesis chapter 3 and Romans 5 and so on, we went to be with another lord, another lord than God. So our sin is our rebellion against God when we switched our allegiance from God to someone else. In Romans, Paul flatly calls this someone else S-I-N, sin. Paul treats uh, sin as, as almost like a power or, or, or you know, person. And this power demands our allegiance, complete allegiance and obedience. Actually, sin has such a powerful grip that no human being can actually escape from its power. And that is why the Bible describes our condition as slaves of sin. Um, do you like the, the movie and the novel, The Lord of the Rings? You know, um, we have a family tradition. You know, I have three kids. You know, they they are all grown up, 29, 26, and 23. But you know, um, when they were you know teenagers, and uh, you know, we have a family tradition that uh, every New Year's Day we watch all three you know uh, movies, the Lord of the Rings series. I have you know extended DVD version, and then we um, we we watch the the movie whole day, you know, um, and but one year only we made just one exception. That is, um, you know, uh, my my youngest son kind of complained that we watched this movie again and again too many times. So 
uh, we decided to watch Star Wars series that year, and uh, it was not that bad, you know. So, but there are too many Star Wars movies now. The, you, you, we have to probably take two, three days to watch the whole thing. But the, the Lord of the Rings, I think the Tolkien's you know, stories, actually the, the novels are much, much better than the movies, but still the movies are still okay. You know, if you know the story of the movie or the novel, the Dark Lord Sauron is, I think it is a really good analogy of sin especially Romans. So whenever uh, we were watching the movies, I would, you know, frequently stop the movie and then start lecturing, you know. <laughs> See, that's, that's Romans 6, you know, the Dark Lord Sauron and the, the, the ring, you know, and, uh, you know, when you, you know, put the ring on your finger, that you could hide yourself. That's, that's incredible uh, analogy of, you know, sinful desire. You know, you want to hide yourself from other people. But then it has such, you know, very strong attraction that you, you want to have it. Although you know that this, is, this really comes from evil, it's a bad thing. But dark Lord Sauron, that, that e, the burning eye really like looks at you and he has such a strong grip on you that the, the, the Sauron will not let you go until you completely, completely destroy the ring at the source, okay? And Mount of Moria, you know, you know what Moria means in Greek? Moria means foolishness. Okay? So, so the, the movie, the novels have all kinds of biblical imageries. You, do, do you guys know who C.S. Lewis is? Yeah, right, so C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and other few of you know, their friends at Oxford, you know, I, I went to visit Oxford and, uh, you know, you could actually visit the pub where, uh, you know, they met weekly on, on Monday evening to discuss, you know, the, the Bible, theology and literature and so on. So the, uh, you know, Tolkien wrote, wrote uh, the Lord of the Rings and then uh, C.S. Lewis later kind of, uh, in, 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 in honor of Tolkien, he wrote this children's story, right? Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, it, it, it is in the same you know, fashion. But, okay, okay, that's, that's all unnecessary stories. So the thing is, the description of sin um, in, the, in, the, in the story is a really, really good analogy. We are slaves of sin and gripped by sinful power. And there's only one way for us to be released from that grip. And that is sacrificial death of the Son of God. So Mark's point in his gospel is that without the cross, without the sacrifice, sacrificial death of the Son of God, this sin problem cannot be solved. Only through the death of the Messiah and the Son of God can one be released from the enslavement of sin. And that is why we must meet Jesus on the cross. Just like the Roman centurion, isn't this an irony? All those Jewish people 
who were near Jesus and the, you know, they were following Jesus did not really know who Jesus really was. But this Gentile, the enemy of the Jewish people, a Roman officer who commanded you know, 100 soldiers under his command, he was the first human character in the story who recognized Jesus' true identity. Indeed, he said, this man was the son of God. And if you look at this sentence in, in 1539, this man was the son of God, you see that it was in the past tense because he did not yet know the resurrection. But we know the resurrection and we could confess that indeed this man is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is our king who died for us. We give all our praise to him. You know, going back to Mark chapter 1, Mark describes the first appearance of Jesus this way in 1.14 and 15. And actually, this is really the, the setting or the, the uh, whole um, the, the theme of the gospel. He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The good news of God is the son of God crucified for our sins. And that is the gospel. The kingdom of God is here on earth because the Son of God was willing to go to the cross and died on our behalf. Do you believe this? Have you met Jesus on the cross? If you have not, I really pray that you will meet him on the cross, not anywhere else. That will be the beginning point of your faith. Let us pray.